Hey, are you ready for St. Patrick's Day? It's coming up in a few days, March 17th. But what is it really all about? When we talk about St. Patrick, what is it that we should know about who this man is? Because is it really all about parades and green beer and uh, leprechauns and pots of gold? What's it all about? Stay tuned. And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is episode number 522, 522 episodes of G220 Radio. And today, this episode is called Happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, if you have not figured, look at the little things on the screen. I hope you like our little artwork there. Uh, we're going to be talking about St. Patrick. This is uh, Mike's idea for this topic for the show tonight. Uh, really excited to, to talk about St. Patrick. It's one of my favorite times of year. Now, the last two years have not been that great because of the quote-unquote things that have been going on in the world. Um, don't really want to say what it is, you know, but we all know what we're talking about here. Uh, because that's been going on, they really have not had any parades downtown Cleveland, which has been something that I've enjoyed going to for, I don't know, maybe the last eight, nine, ten years. I don't know how long it's been, but I would go out there. The first time I ever went to go evangelize, on my own, I went to the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Cleveland. It was just me, and I'm handing out tracts to people. That's all I was doing. Then it's progressed over the years where we would go and we'd preach the gospel. And it's just a great time because, one, who doesn't like a parade? And, two, um, you know, you're handing out tracts to people that are there to enjoy the festivities. And uh, you run into a lot of drunks. And you also you run into people like Bethel giving out their Celtic blessings to people and Ooh. interpreting people's tattoos and stuff. You know, this is just some of That's the experiences exciting. I've had from St. Patrick's day. Yeah. I'm very fond of St. Patrick's day just mainly for one reason. I mean, Oh, Patrick, come on, Patrick. That I mean, just bad analogies all around. Um, thanks for the guys at, uh, Lutheran satire for that little clip it there. But I mean, St. Patrick's Day has always been kind of like this known. I think I've had more appreciation of it growing as I become more reformed, more of a student of church history mm -hmm. and just having and also maybe a little bit because my mom's side of the family is Irish. I'm not quite sure. I'm either like half Irish or quarter Irish at least. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, there's kind of like, hey, this is like one sense one. I mean, you can't really see in the video, but my beard has like a really red tint compared to my hair. Um, yeah, you got white. So but down here, <laughs> don't focus so, down here, Mike. <laughs> talking about the red. So. But yeah, I just, and it's always just like, <clears throat> now we won't kind of go into how the current tradition of green beard, all that um, gets into, but just thinking about St. Patrick and like who he is, kind of this legendary person. 
that um, has a lot of myths surrounding him. And it's always kind of, mm-hmm. you know, a little fun to kind of decipher the um, the myth from the man. Yeah, no, absolutely. There are there are many myths when it comes to St. Patrick. Maybe you're aware of them. Maybe you're not aware of them. Um, I think a lot of people, when we do think about St. Patrick's Day, they don't think about the man. Obviously, they think about the other things. And you mentioned the green beer, but they think about um, parades. They think about celebration. You know, it's not a national holiday, so you don't get the day off uh, if you work for a federal, you know, company or a bank or something like that. But uh, it's still a holiday that people, they, they celebrate, they come. And, and unfortunately, uh-huh. it's it's more about getting drunk and going pinching out. Pinching people. And pinching people. If you don't wear green. I personally yeah. like to wear orange. Mike, you too, right? You know, yeah. Why do you wear orange, Ricky? Because I'm not Catholic. Big, big C Catholic. I'm a Why Protestant. Does that matter? I am protesting. Yes. Still protesting to this day. I was going to look up. There's, I think, maybe Kevin D. Young. Someone's written an article about why Protestants wear orange. Kind of like mm-hmm. the history behind it. I think it is Kevin D. Young. I think I did read something from him once before on that. Yeah. Um, and so... But we'll yeah. leave that to our listeners. We'll, 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 we'll tell you, go find that for us and you can post it on a G220 radio link either here on Facebook or here on YouTube or here on Twitter. If that's where you're watching it, I'm sure you can find it. Uh, that'll give you something to do, something to look in, something to read because it was a pretty good, pretty good read and understanding why we as Protestants would say, Hey, we're going to wear orange, you know, instead of green. And I'm not going to jump on you. We're not going to, you know, uh, cast you out of the kingdom if you happen to wear green on St. Patrick's Day and you're not Roman Catholic. But we're just saying there is a reason why uh, Protestants uh, wear the orange. But that's not necessarily all we're going to talk about here tonight. While those are fun things and we can talk about what's you know, people do on St. Patrick's Day, ways they celebrate it and all that good stuff uh, and bad things that they do and the way they want to celebrate it. But we, what we want to focus on tonight here is St. Patrick, who... Dun dun dun! It's not Irish. <laughs> Wasn't yeah, Irish. He's not Irish. Yeah. So just a little bit about him. Let's as we think about him. So I guess Ricky, do you know what year he was born or supposedly born? Uh, I, I don't know. I know it was in the fourth century, but I do not. Yeah, three eighty-five. Yeah. So three eighty-five. So in the matter of church history, we've talked a lot about the Nicene Creed. Nicene Creed. The Council of Nicaea is 325. The uh, Council of Constantinople is in 381. So this means that Patrick is very early in church history. So there's, I think, something to be said that in 400 years, that Patrick, who's from Great Britain, is from Britain, is converted to Christianity. Relatively speaking, in that time frame, that's pretty far off from Jerusalem, mm-hmm. from the major Christian cities. 
Yeah. But here he is in England, what we would call England, modern day England, Britain. As a as a Christian that who when he becomes a Christian, and I think this is. I mean, we talk about evangelism. I This should kind of be encouraging that up in like the 400s. I mean, you have literally Christians all over the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. They keep growing and expanding. I just there's something there to think about. In how the early church viewed their mission. They might have been so, post millennial. <laughs> maybe. I mean, it could have been all a little or pre-millennial too. You never know. I don't even know. They probably didn't even know what millennialism was. <laughs> let's be honest. I'm just saying taking dominion of evangelism and, and taking it to the ends of the yeah, world. Yeah. And Ireland would have been known as, or at that time was considered the ends of the earth. Like this is as far mm-hmm. as you can go. You're going to fall off. So here you have uh, Patrick who is not from Ireland. He's not Irish. It's not his original name, but you have him who we'll we'll talk about this. He ends up getting into Ireland or in, and then while he's there, because he grew up, his father was a priest and family was priests and deacons uh, or Bishop and deacons. And so they had this history, you know, of, of being Christians. He kind of rebelled against it, you know, um, although he was taught these things, but then while he's over in Ireland, he, he fully becomes, aware of his need for Christ, you know, and then we'll talk about why he's there. We'll, we'll get to that, but I'm just saying this is the end of the end of the world for them. So when you think of take this to the ends of the earth, this is where yeah. at that time they're literally believing here in Ireland, this is the ends of the earth. Yeah. And the, I mean, just the growth in 400 years. I mean, you can even date it earlier when you're talking about his parents about how, they're they're Christians. So it's even earlier than St. Patrick mm-hmm. that they're there. And I know I've mentioned this in the show. I think I even kind of reviewed a paper I did on this topic about evangelism in the early church. You just don't, you have Christians writing about it as kind of this defense that this message is going out, but you don't have kind of the, um, you know, evangelism explosion or way of the master, these kind of books to encourage people on how to share their faith. They did it. And we can see this in just Patrick's life. His parents are, or his dad is a priest and he's grown up as a Christian and it's very early in the Christian life. I mean, Augustine isn't even isn't around at this time. So we're kind of talking pre Augustine. Yeah. Pre the Pelagius controversy. He is very early in the church. The doctrine of Trinity is just now being kind of formed and thought about, not formed, but being expressed, being challenged. And he's living in that time. And there is some important aspects that we can also draw from this, I think a little bit later. But he's living in England. He's working on the farm and he's kidnapped. He's stolen. 
at 16 years old, 16 years old, Mm -hmm. stolen and taken to Ireland. So that's where his Irish connection is. He gets stolen into Ireland. He lives there as a slave. And then he escapes. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how he describes his in his confessions or kind of and what he believes kind of his own story is what the book is about. But he talks about how he, he escapes and he goes back to England and he sends God's call for him to go back to Ireland and to Mm -hmm. evangelize his former slave owners, his, and like every missionary, it was tough at first. And then, and kind of in the pr- true and proper sense, there was a revival, a work of God in saving a whole bunch of Irish people. Mm-hmm. And so this is why we celebrate Patrick. Patrick kind of liberated in the is the the Irish people from their sin by preaching the gospel. They're saved by this hearing of the gospel. Again, this is just very early on. This this zeal to go. I think in, mm. when we think about Patrick, and there's a lot of things that we do to celebrate kind of St. Patrick's day that really has nothing to do with what he did. Right. But as Protestants, we should kind of claim the history of what Patrick did. Cause that's what we're called to do. We see an example of someone doing what we've been called to do. And that is to proclaim the gospel. Some of us will be missionaries. Some of us are pastors but what we see in the life of Patrick is someone who's willing to go to the ends of the earth right. to preach the gospel. And and to put this in a time frame, because as Mike was laying that out there, you may think that, you know, after he escaped and went back to, to, to Britain, that he uh, just turned around and went back, back uh, to Ireland. That's not the time frame of it. I mean, he was a slave for six years in Ireland and then he escapes. And he gets back over to Britain, back over to England, and he's there for over 20 years before he goes back into Ireland. So he's got time as well to develop his faith. Now, now that while he was a slave, it really brought him to the, the faith that he had been taught from his family. Uh, it became real in his life. He, he realized his need for the Savior, the only one who could save Gets saved, goes back. When he escapes, he goes back to England, and then over twenty years, he's you know able to grow and maybe get strong, strengthened in his understanding of scripture, desire for scripture. He wasn't a learned man; didn't have a, a an education like that. Remember, he was taken at sixteen years old and was a slave for six years, and so he's coming back, and he really took those passages, the Great Commission go into the to the ends of the earth right to do this 
and to share this gospel, this good news. He took these passages literal. And this is really probably one of our um one of the greatest missionaries that we can look to and say we should emulate Patrick Saint Patrick. Now, we're all saints in Christ. I know Roman Catholicism has a different way in which they bring someone to sainthood in which we were just talking about this before the program. Patrick was never sainted by the Roman Catholic Church. So I don't know where, I don't know, I don't know if Mike knows, I don't, I'm not sure, but where he gets this title saint, other than the scriptures says that everyone who is in Christ is a saint. But we we, we call this St. Patrick's Day. Um, but he really took these truths from the scripture, literal, to go and to share the gospel, to make disciples, baptizing them. I mean, he had over a thousand some converts in Ireland baptizing these these people, you know, and he put in the hard work. It's not easy. When a church is planted, when you're going and doing the work, it is not an easy work to do. I've been a part of a few church plants, uh, and it's it's not an easy work. It's harder than we think, right? You think he's just going to get in there and you're going to get these people to come, but it's part of the growth that God does in you as well as what he's doing in that community. And he really blessed the fruitfulness of Patrick going back to this place after 20 some years of being back in England and then filling this burden, this call to go. And it wasn't that, you know, he was a part of the Roman Catholic church that really wasn't established. And it was, it was not really um, what we know of as Roman Catholicism at this point, Mm -hmm. but he really felt this burden, this call to go, which again, here at G220 radio, we would say that we believe strongly in the local church and the local churches affirmation of someone being called. But in this time frame, you got to understand there's a lot of things that are developing. While you still had people within the churches, you, in, in our early church fathers, you still have uh, a lot of development that's taking place and happening. Um, and so, I don't know, he, he claims that he had this, he heard this voice of God telling him to go back to these people to the ends of the earth and literally believing Ireland is the end of the earth. And, and they they went or he went. Yeah. So to kind of put it in perspective, why we're saying he's not Catholic, the Roman Catholic church, I would argue, obviously they don't, um, doesn't start to the great schism where you have the separation between the Western church and the Eastern church, which would become what we would know as, as the Roman Catholic church, which is the West and the Orthodox church, Orthodox Church, which is in the East. Um, kind of looking more into his canonization, you know, thinking about it, the reason why he's not canonized, and although he's in the list of saints, is because essentially there is no Catholic Church and there's no Pope at the time. I think this is also important to kind of think about. The Catholic Church starts in 1058 with the Great Schism. Well, Patrick is dead for nearly 600 years before that. Mm-hmm. So there is, but obviously he's 
in kind of Catholic tradition, he is seen as a saint. Um, though he's not like, I guess, canonized in that way. But I think it shows you the importance that he had um, and what he did. And this isn't not just in what he did with Ireland. How church history plays out is that in most of the cities, what we see is you have a bishop overseeing a city. The bishop of Rome oversaw Rome. The bishop of Alexander oversaw Alexandria. Augustine is the bishop of Hippo. He oversees Hippo. But in Ireland and and also in Scotland, where Irish missionaries would go to, they set up monasteries. Now, monasteries show up in this time frame, a lot of it because you have the the combination of the Roman government and Christianity and and Constantine. And there's this desire for Christians to be more holy, more devoted. That's kind of the rise of monasteries, kind of these more devoted devoted lives. Well, this is what's set up in Ireland is you have monasteries and then abbots who are overseeing the monasteries and they're the ones who kind of oversee the church. This becomes important in one way when Rome falls, what happened in Ireland allows the Irish Christians to also become missionaries. They also are a keeper of tradition. They have records. They're not destroyed by the Gauls. The Gauls go towards Rome. They're away from Rome. And so in church history, this starts becoming more important because the Irish people will be the ones who will kind of help reestablish kind of Christianity in the mainland, in mainland Europe, what we would call mainland Europe. And so we see the influence of not only what Patrick did while he's there and the revival that came about from his preaching. We also get to see how their faithfulness allows them in a time of disarray within the Catholic or within the church, the Catholic small C sense to be able to keep the orthodoxy going, keep, keep Christianity um, growing in ways that now the Romans can't do because there is no um, Pax Romana. There is Rome has fallen. The empire is destroyed. I mean, by this time, the Muslims have already taken North Africa um, in just a couple years and a hundred years after he dies. And so the Irish Christians now follow this kind of tradition that they have of missionaries. Now, like most kind of Catholics today, they're not as strong biblically, theologically. There's issues that 
will develop as the Catholic Church, big C, starts rejecting biblical teaching. But there was a time that they were strong and holding on to it. And the fact that they had abbots allowed them to be able to just expand and just to start new monasteries and new churches for people to go and spread the gospel. And like I said, I mean, there's a sense in which we can say John Knox benefits from St. Patrick and his work with missionaries leaving Ireland and going into Scotland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's, there's things that we can look at this and apply it to our context today. As, as you was talking there, Mike, I was thinking about a few things. We, we've already mentioned the importance of evangelizing and how we, we can look to St. Patrick as this, this uh, example and a good example of someone who takes the Great Commission seriously, literally, and goes and proclaims the gospel and is not, a, not concerned. Like, okay, he was a slave in Ireland for six years. And he feels the strong call to go back to these people who enslaved him and share the gospel. We can learn principles from that. We, we can take that and apply it and say, you know, in any context, we can go back to people who have oppressed us or people who've uh, tried to hold somebody down or uh, did them wrong to give them the gospel. Okay, there's examples we can take from that. The other aspect of that is when you look at the churches. Uh, as you said, you know, as there more and more error came into uh, the Roman Catholic Church, as it began to develop into what it what it would become, uh, more and more errors. Um, we can also look at Ireland today and say, "Wow, what a blessing it was for Patrick to go in there, proclaim the gospel, and to see the fruit that came out of it, and missionaries that would go from there into other parts of the world to proclaim the gospel as well." But where are they today? It's non-existent, right? And we can look at that as an, as Americans and say, okay, are we proclaiming the gospel? Are we being faithful to what God has called us to do? Or are we going into all kinds of error and bringing in the world? Because if we continue down that path, then we can look at Ireland as an example. We can look at these other nations as an example. We can go to the book of Revelation when he says, uh, if you you know continue, don't don't continue to to have that first love if you don't if you continue down this path and don't repent this is where you're going to be I'm going to remove that lampstand from that church and that church will no longer be a church the influence will no longer be there so we can take those as principles and say as Christians it's it's not uh, beyond God to remove the lampstands from the churches in our in our nation and to remove his hand of blessing upon us as a nation with the freedoms and the, the rights and things that we have, they can be taken away. And then there will be other nations that God will raise up who will be sending their people here to America to proclaim the gospel to us as a nation. Those are just some things that stand out to me that we can look at the, the faithfulness of men who went and proclaimed the gospel, the gospel uh, just went ahead and, um, I'm trying to think of the right world, just uh, flourished in that nation for a period of time. 
But because they, they began to be unfaithful over the years, it's just like with Nineveh, right? The Ninevites were said, if you repent, then God's not going to destroy you. So they repented. But then years later, they went back to these things and God went in and destroyed them, right? So we that's something we can think of as Christians in America to not think dispensationally that we are the center of God's uh, plan. I don't know. I had to throw a dispensational kick out there. I don't know. You're on mute, Mike. Go ahead and kick the dispensationalists while they're down. Now, I think there's, you know, a lot. They're just examining people's life. You think of not only what, Patrick did, but also Elizabeth Elliot going back mm-hmm. to the people after her husband, after they kill, killed her husband. And <clears throat> so this is why biographies are important as we think about these people and see them for who they are. They are men that God used. And to see how God used them in our own, to be strengthened for our own faithfulness and understand that. But as we mentioned, he is one of many myths. And so, since we're in this time frame, let's talk a little bit, Trinity, that he used the shamrock as an illustration for the Trinity. Are you going to play that clip? Cause I was going to say it. <laughs> it's partialism, Patrick. I can, I don't have it queued up right now. Um, but yeah, so, and we probably, I mean, there's pictures, St. Patrick's days. We have shamrocks all over the place. There is this connection between Patrick and Irish and the shamrocks. But the problem is there's actually no record of Patrick using a shamrock to illustrate the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're maybe follow some theological lines like John frame. The fact that the shamrock is three could be implicit truth of a triune God, not to be an analogy of, but that in this world, there are lots of threes, which God created to show that he is triune if that's your theological bent, the triad, I think is what he calls it. But in the end, Patrick doesn't use this. There's just no record of it. And I think this is important for us to think about that. Not everything we read in church history is true. Mm -hmm. And to think about it, you think of, um, the great, the great evangelistic quote, preach the gospel, always use words if necessary. 
St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi. No record of it. Right. We don't know where it came from. There's nothing in his writings that says he's done it. And the same thing here with Patrick. The earliest written version of the story, according to Wikipedia, so give it a give or take, is 1726. It's 1300 mm. years ish after he's dead or after he's born. And there's some early stuff in the 1680s. They're just, there's nothing there. There's nothing there to tie them, tie this back to him. I think it's so. While it's fun to have shamrocks in, you know, I like going looking for three leaf clovers. It's quite fun or find the elusive four leaf clover. It makes a bad analogy for the Trinity and Patrick didn't use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you watch that Lutheran satire video that we maybe will link it on the G220 radio uh, YouTube page there. won't play it on here in its entirety. Don't need a copyright strike, but um, we just maybe we'll link that on our, our page. It's funny because when you do that, it's, it's partialism, as you said, you know, it's, it's this wrong view of the Trinity. Now, lots of people use analogies and I don't think their intentions are necessarily to be heretical. You know, maybe it's just how they've been told uh, a way of explaining it. And so then they're trying to break it down and make it easy for someone else to understand it and not realizing that they're espousing a heretical view. Right. And I'm sure it, if we're, we're all honest, there's many times I'm sure in our lives as Christians, we've stated something in a way that others who maybe are were more knowledgeable in that issue topic, whatever it was that we were stating would say to us, uh, that's a heretical point, you know? And as we grow, we, we start to see those things a little bit more. Cause I remember growing up and I would hear that uh, analogy with the water, the ice and you know, what is it? Mm -hmm. Uh, liquid steam. water steam. Um, but again, you're, you're talking these different modes. It's this modalism. And so, uh, it's important that we understand that, as Mike said, you know, with the John frame, that kind of theological bent where you can see these things and say, look, it's beauty. It's beauty in God's creation. This is the things that he's given to us. But do we want to use these as uh, a way, an analogy to try to explain the unexplainable God uh, who has revealed himself to us through his word? And we want to stick to his word as best we can uh, without going outside of that. And so. Um, yeah, it's, it's good things. Some other myths I think that we see with, um, St. Patrick is the making all the snakes leave Ireland. You know, um, it's a myth. It's not uh, a factual. Again, these are things that people have developed over time. And one of the things that makes it hard, um, is because there's a lot of writings on St. Patrick. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. You could find bi Catholic biographies on him and all kinds of things on St. Patrick that aren't very uh, substantial or um, trustworthy sources, ultimately. And so a lot of these myths, a lot of these things get in there that are written hundreds and hundreds or thousands of years later that uh, start to build these mythical ideas of this man. 
as opposed to the fact that this was a Christian man. He loved the Lord. Uh, he was he was like a he was a monk, right? He kind of pulled away from all the things in the world and and uh, stayed in one of those monasteries. He was just a simple man trying to honor the Lord and preach the gospel to many people. Yeah, he did say about the Trinity. I looked it up in his confessions, which is really good. So he starts off. This is in chapter one of his confessions. There is no other God, nor will there ever be, ever will be. Now, real quick, did you say this was before the Nicene? This is before. Um, no, this would have been after the Nicene. Okay, Creed. Um, I don't know how much he would have known of the Nicene Creed. Yeah, or Nicaea, but it's in this era. It's in this time okay. frame. So there is no other God, nor will was no. That nor ever was nor will be after him except for God the Father, without beginning, from whom all from whom is all beginning, who upholds all things, as we have said, and his son, Jesus Christ, whom together with the Father we testify to always exist, who before the beginning of the world was spiritually present with the Father, begotten in the unspeakable manner before all beginnings by whom were all things made visible and invisible, who was made man and having overcome death was received into heaven to the father. And he hath given him a name, which is above every name that the time of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and God in whom we believe. And we await his coming who ere long shall judge the quick and the dead who will render to some one according to his deeds and pour out abundantly on his, on us, the gifts of the Holy spirit, even from the earnest of, of immortality, who makes these that those who that believe and obey to be sons of God, the father join theirs with Christ. We confess and adore one God in the Trinity of the sacred name. Mm. I mean, he may have known about Nicaea. That is very much the language of Nicaea mm-hmm. and the Bible. And so we can see here that he holds a orthodox view of the Trinity. This is his confessions. This is what he believes. It is laid out to us. He believes you know, in the Trinity, I think. And that's just, again, even if he did use the shamrock as an example to illustrate, because we always try to find analogies for these deep things Mm -hmm. to explain, to try to explain the unexplainable. According to his own writings, he didn't believe in partialism, um, nor was Lutheran satire trying to imply that either. Right. So, but then, yeah, no snakes. There's actually a fossil record to show that there probably was never been snakes on there. Mm-hmm. Again, this is just just one. Um, there is also a myth saying that he spoke to ancient Irish ancestors. Ones who. Uh, um were, I guess, 
after their death offered salvation. Um, this obviously isn't Christian teaching mm -hmm. to have kind of this opportunity after you die to kind of one final chance to believe. Um, that's just, I'm sure. I mean, even just the quote I read, it sounds like St. Patrick wouldn't have held to that. That would be against what he would have believed. And, rightly so mm -hmm. as what the bible says yeah very very interesting i mean there's uh so much like we talked about already myths that can come in from people coming later later in time uh, writing stuff about this man um but we only have the two writings from him so we can get a lot of information specifically from him uh, through his confession. And uh, I think the other is his uh, titled epistle. Um, because it's a letters, but it's, it's, you know, we Latin, it's the epistle, right? So um, <clears throat> that's the only writings that we have from him. Uh, and so we can take from that what he is stating himself specifically and uh, do away with many of those myths. But there are some good articles that you could find out there. Uh, we mentioned Kevin DeYoung. Um, then you can find, you do got to sift through them. You know, you got to sift through it because, uh, again, like I said, there's a lot of Roman Catholics want to claim everybody as a Roman Catholic in church history. You know, they had to go back and add popes in there to go all the way to the beginning, starting with Peter and they had to throw them in there. Um, now there was bishops of Rome, but these weren't, there wasn't this idea of a Pope. So they had to throw these things back in there uh, to basically fit this history into being a Roman Catholic history. Um, <clears throat> but that just was not the case. So yep. we as Protestants, and I know growing up in an independent fundamentalist Baptist church, we didn't take, uh, we didn't give a priority or a importance to it. Probably be better to say we didn't give much importance to church history when I was, that was not something that we took a lot of time to care about and to learn about that was considered because Rome took it. That's Roman Catholic. We don't, we don't deal with the saints and, you know, uh, Patrick or Augustine or, or any of these guys, right? That's Roman Catholic. We're not Roman Catholic. We're Baptists, but there, we do a disservice when we do that because we need to not be afraid to say, look, these early church fathers, they don't belong to the Roman Catholic Church. They belong to the church universal, small c Catholic. Yep. And everyone who is a believer in Christ is a part of the small c universal church. Everyone, past, present, and future. And so we can look to them and we can learn things that they have taught, written upon. Uh, we can look at the good things that they've done as examples, like with Patrick, Mm -hmm. uh, the importance of taking the gospel into the world, into the ends of the earth, as Ireland would have been known in that time. And then we can look at the bad things that people have done. Uh, you think of some of these early church fathers and some of the things that today we would hold as like, well, that's very bad heresy. You think of origin and some of these guys, some of the views and things that they put out there, yet they're still within the uh, early church fathers of the church, but we look at these things and we can look and say, as they began to develop what the scriptures teach, 
Not that these were new things that they are developing these new doctrines, but as they are able to dig into the scriptures and develop systems that say, hey, this is what is biblical, as we're looking at the scriptures as a whole, um, we would look at some of these guys and say, yeah, they were holding to some unbiblical things. Those are things we want to avoid. And that's why we can look at councils and we can look at uh, stuff from church history and say they dealt with every heresy that is around today. They've dealt with it. We don't have to go back and rehash those things. It's already been out there. It's already been dealt with. And so we can trust history uh, and the church history, our church, early church fathers, in dealing with those things so that we don't have to keep on continuing to like try to come up with uh, new understandings of of um, what is her heretical, because there's nothing new under the sun. It's already been dealt with. So those are some of the important things of why we should take the time to learn these things. And as Mike, you said with these biographies, when you think about this, it's an encouragement to us as believers to read biographies um, and to learn who these individuals are that have come before us and these good things that they have done and maybe even the bad things they've done that we can learn from them. And they can, those biographies can be very inspiring. Yeah. And I mean, as we think about, you know, just St. Patrick in particular and kind of all the festivals that the church in one way or not celebrate, maybe not everyone like Lent. Um, originally, these were done to draw attention to God working in these men. That's why people will say Spurgeon died on this day or Spurgeon was born on these this day. And to to remind us of God's faithfulness throughout the generation. God's not just faithful to Patrick and then sometime later Augustine and then sometime later some other person. But that with Patrick, with Augustine, Calvin or Knox or Zwingli or uh, the Puritans, we see God being faithful to the end, the promise at the end of the great commission. And I will be with you till the end. That this triune God does not forsake his people. He'll be with them to the end. Now there are some people he uses mightily, but there's some people he's not. And even in Patrick's idea while he's not a Christian, when he is taken, he remembers the things that he's learned. Mm -hmm. He's thinking about these things in a new context, and he becomes a Christian. When we think about these, I mean, there's just another illustration of why we should have family worship and catechism catechesis for our children to to instill early on these truths and hope that 
when they're old enough, when they can think about these things, God will use those to convert them. And we shouldn't and just not be afraid that church history is our history. Or as Stephen Nichol, Nicholas Nichols says, church history is our story. And we see it. We're here because of what people have already done mm -hmm. as they have thought about the Bible. The Bible is the key of this all. Church history and theology develops because people thought about the Bible, they believed the Bible, and they did what the Bible said. They had trust and faith. That's why we can look at great prayer warriors and just be astonished. But really, they're just men who trust God, who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Or when Paul mentions that we should bring everything to God in prayer and supplication and supplication and believing the promises that they're come. And that's what, while we get that today, we see those in the sermons, <clears throat> reading biographies, reading about St. Patrick's understanding why, why the church wants to, to elevate St. Patrick's allows us to see the flesh to that theology. It's in one sense, experiential theology. It's what older believers have as they've lived this life in the valley of death, awaiting for the glories to come. And I think, so we should think about St. Patrick's or Valentine from last month. And to think about these different people because of what God did in their life and to ask God to strengthen our faith like he strengthened their faith. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was our um, show here tonight uh, concerning or dealing with talking about uh, St. Patrick. Um, we've got some shows planned coming up here uh, in the future, um, and we will. Uh, I'm trying to think what we titled them, but uh, on the 29th, we're going to have Joshua West on the program. He's an author, a pastor, and runs a ministry, uh, Sun Life, where they deal with. Uh, young adults, um, teenagers and young adults who struggle with addictions. And so they minister to them. He's going to be on the program, a friend of mine. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, on the 26th of April, these are the things I know are on the schedule. Uh, we're going to have Steve Christie back. Steve Christie, we had him on talking about Roman Catholicism. We, talk, we had him talking about the Bible and we talked about the Apocrypha, but he's going to be back to talk about the Marian dogmas. And so, Ooh. and it's going to be the 26th because it's going to be right after a debate he has with Trent Horn from Catholic Answers on the 20th. So he's going to be debating a uh, Roman Catholic apologist there on the 20th. And so he's going to come right on uh, our program after that. And so those are just a few shows we have lined up. We're trying to get some more um, 
guest that will be on the program here in the near future, uh, as well as continuing to do some Proverbs and other shows like this. This was a, a fun treat for us tonight, just kind of talking about St. Patrick, a little lighthearted show with this week being St. Patrick's Day. And the reason why they celebrated on the 17th, because that is the day that he died, March 17th. So this is why we mm-hmm. celebrate St. Patrick's Day on that day. And so, uh, hey, consider this. Let us let this be an encouragement to you. If anything, if you're going to go to a parade this St. Patrick's Day, take a few gospel tracts with you. Hand them to a few people. I mean, I'm not saying you have to go out there and hand out hundreds of them, but take a few with you. Hand a few out. Um, See, maybe G220 should print some or try to sell some St. Patrick gospel tracks with the gospel message weaved into who St. Patrick is. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be, that would be just thinking. Yeah. That may be something that we, we could put together, you know, come up with a nice idea for a uh, um, front of the track to get your attention and then have some on the back. I know at sporting events in the past uh, I've seen people make tracks on trivia. Like when we would go to the Kentucky Derby, it'd be like Kentucky Derby trivia. And so you'd have a few questions about the Derby trivia, and then it would go into a gospel connecting, but then go into you know a gospel presentation uh, on a short little track, so as much as you can fit on there. But yeah, sometimes uh, that's that's very helpful uh, to those types of events, geared toward those types of events, and people will take it and they'll start to read a few things on it uh, and find out some truths from the, the tract on the individual, as well as the truth from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So those are some things to encourage you to do. Uh, Maybe we will come up with a track like that. We'll see. But uh, in the meantime, if there's any comments, questions, thoughts, ideas, things you would like to see here on G220 Radio, you'd like to see us talk about, please email us at g220radio at gmail.com. Again, that is g220radio at gmail.com. And we would love to hear your feedback. Please share. Uh, this with others and uh, help support the ministry by doing that. Pray for us as we desire and seek to talk about the things of the Lord, real people with real conversations here. We like to bring on other real people to have these conversations to help us all grow and be edified and encouraged in the faith. Because in this day and age, uh, in any time, uh, we all want to encourage one another within the body. Uh, and that's our desire. If you're not connected to a local church, get plugged in somewhere. That is a good Bible-believing church. Uh, that is the important part of aspect of the Christian faith, to not try to think you can do this alone. Uh, the church is designed for us to be part of and to be a member of and to be uh, under the authority of a local church. So we want to encourage you to do that. If you have not done so, uh, go and find one. And if you need help, reach out to us, and we will do our best to find something close to you in your area. Uh, Mike, any last words, thoughts uh, before we completely close this out tonight? You're on mute, bud. So I was going to try to queue up some Lutheran satire. I just, so we play a couple clips. We've mentioned them. Um, go check out the video. It's funny. It's a funny St. Patrick's Day. They have one where they've ran it through auto Google Translate and then use that as the the 
closed captions for the video. Also pretty funny to read as you're watching that. They have all the others too. Um, the one who makes it, he's a, if you're concerned about theological things, he is a Missini, Missouri, Missouri Synod Lutheran. He's mm-hmm. a pastor. And this is kind of a fun way to help teach theology. He has a whole bunch of videos with Donald and Connell, um, the infamous peop, uh, Irishman who call everyone Patrick. And so, yeah, go just to have a little, if you want to have a little St. Patrick Day fun celebration, go check out the videos that there at Lutheran Satire. All right, so until next week, that's been G220 Radio. God bless.